Welcome to Airwaves, the official podcast of the Naval Air Systems Command. I'm your host, Michael Lauren Peru. And today we're going to talk about behaviors for a winning culture. In the case of PMA 265, the data speaks for itself. They're fostering a culture of empowerment, encouraging teams to be bold and think differently, and it's resulting in big wins for the fleet. Joining us is Captain Jason Denny, Program Manager for PMA 265, Mr. Don Salomon, Data Analytics Integrated Product Team Lead, and Budget Financial Manager, Ms. Tess Butner. Thank you all for joining us today. Thanks, Michael. Appreciate you having us on today. So, sir, how would you describe the culture of PMA 265 and then PEOT at large? In one word, evolving. So we have had a culture of doing excellent work, having dedicated processes, a way of efficiently getting work done for the last 30 years. Uh, but the world has moved on. The threats are different. The environment is different. The where we are in our program is now different than we have been in the past 30 years. So the behaviors and the culture that we've had, while successful, is not going to be as successful for the next 30 years of the platform. So we've got to evolve with the world, with where we are in the program, and change the mindsets and the behaviors in order to make sure that we continue to provide the capabilities that the fleet needs when they need them. So in today's podcast, we're going to highlight two very successful examples, the Common Spin Plan tool and the Hornet Health Assessment tool. But Captain, what are the most important observed behaviors that have contributed to all of your team's successes? So the list is not just limited to these products, right? They, they exemplify the outcomes that can be achieved when you, when you go through these behaviors and these processes. So the first one is collaboration. Okay, so we, we typically in the past have been defined by our stovepipes. This is my area of responsibility, that's yours, let's not interfere with each other. But that's not a way that a complex system actually works, and that's what we really are. So we've got to identify that there are areas of overlap, and instead of those being borders for dispute, they should be areas of intense collaboration. Okay, and so that's how we work better with other areas and, and make sure that we're, we're all focused on the same thing. So the second thing is alignment. What is it we're trying to achieve? It's not about my metric to make us look good or your metric to make you look good. It's what is the output to the fleet that allows them to fight tonight, tomorrow, and win? Ownership, that's another one, is, hey, we all have a piece of making the fleet successful. Again, it kind of falls into the whole stovepipe thing is, uh, we, we don't say that's not my problem, that's your problem. That's, hey, how can I help you? Or what is my part in this in making this better? And then finally, the transparency being comfortable enough to know that we're not perfect, nobody's perfect, let's put all the hard issues out on the table, let's embrace the red, as Admiral Gahagan likes to say, and work through those problems together because you have several minds working on the same problem, you're gonna get a much better result out of it than you would if you're just trying to limit it to one small group. And how would you say these behaviors enabled the teams to succeed? Uh, It enabled them to think of the problems with a new mindset, to come at them in different directions that we haven't historically considered before. It allowed them to engage with other teammates and bring them on board in a collaborative manner to work together in, in ways that we typically hadn't before. And so now, not only are they able to attack those problems that they initially set out to attack, they're actually taking on bigger problems than we ever thought that we could take on and the more complex problems, things that we thought were too big that, uh, that nobody could solve. We're actually having some confidence to say, you know what, let's start, to ta- let's start to take focus on that and attack it and see if we can't make it better. So how have you reinforced these behaviors with your teams? 
So just through constant communication, celebrating the wins when they perform the behaviors that are, are the winning behaviors, the cultures that we want, recognize those and reinforcing those in front of others, providing examples. Just the other day, we took an example from the BFM team that um, they had solved the problem that had been systemic in our program office for, for years. And we brought that to the forefront and said, hey, their ability to work together uh, and attack this in a different way, now we haven't had any of these issues in the last several months. And so that gets the other teams thinking of, okay, how can I start to attack some of these problems that I thought were just problems we'd have to deal with forever? No, we don't have to tolerate that. We can uh, use these examples to inspire others to start to behave in that way as well. And speaking of BFMs, let's turn to Tess Butner. Tess, tell us about the common spin plan tool. What is CSPT? So in a nutshell, CSPT is basically a centralized database within the acquisition management system tool, the AMS tool. And basically what it does is it tracks requirements, funding, spend plans. You can look at obligations, expenditures. It does a lot, a lot of things. I get asked the question a lot, who owns the tool? A lot of people believe the BFMs actually own the tool and it's our responsibility. And my answer to that is always exactly what the captain just said. It is a collaboration tool. Everybody has a piece of this tool, whether it's input, output, managing. So that's basically what CSPT is. So what problem is CSPT trying to solve and what are the associated benefits to that? Basically data transparency and having all the data in one centralized location. By having all the data within one location, you're able to quickly answer drills, request for information. At any given time within the PMA, whoever's accessing the data knows they have the most up-to-date data. Instead of going out to multiple different spend plans or having to talk to multiple different people to get the answer, you can go log in the tool and know exactly where you're going to get the information, whether it's the raw data within Excel or it's in a visual. And an additional benefit of that is it really ends up reducing the amount of work that folks do. So that collaboration, that ability to have that knowledge at the forefront where anybody can access it precludes the need for us to go track down the one person who has that on their individual spreadsheet and whether or not they've had that updated or not, right? So to answer a drill typically results in they got to drop everything they're doing, go focus on that, and then go back to the other work that they're doing. By having it in CSPT, that work is, is eliminated. And now they can continue to focus on the flow and maybe just answer one or two small questions and then we're done with the drill. So ultimately, you put in a little bit of work up front on some of these things, and it reduces the workload on the backside. It certainly sounds like it's kind of streamlining the process overall. So what motivated PMA 265 to adopt CSPT? So that actually goes right with what the captain just said. So when I started back in 2019, we had over 52 spend plans in one active year of funding. Multiply that by three active years of funding across the entire PMA with every funding source. When you would need an answer, you would need to go to one of these 130 spend plans, depending on what you were looking for and trying to figure out who owned that data and had the most up-to-date data for what you were asking for. So not only configuration management of the data, but version control, because we had, you know, the IPTs had a version on their share drive, the BFMs had a version on their share drive, then throw teams in the mix these days, and you weren't really sure what version of the spend plans you had. Having the data all in one tool and knowing that it's the up-to-date data and it all is quote-unquote common, you know that you're looking at the right data. Centralized data is the future and is where we're going, so PMA265 wanted to start that process so it would be easier for everybody. So what would you say is unique about how PMA265 has actually implemented the tool? 
In my past history with the CSPT, I've actually seen a lot of PMAs just go in and answer this as like a data call. They saw CSPT as another tool that they had to enter data in. So they just entered data in, not really putting too much forethought into it. So when I started back in 2019 in 265, we actually decided to take a step back. That was our path. We asked ourselves, I asked the captain, I asked the level one, the lead BFMs, other people in the office, what do we want to get out of the tool? What drills do we want to answer? What information do we want to have in one tool? For instance, in PMA 265, one big question we always have is what's Marine Corps versus Navy money? So like those types of questions that we're always trying to answer, what goes into an H build? how do we set up the system to work for us not how do we work for the system and we made clear and concise and ever evolving business rules that we always refer to that is my number one key to success for our program office is that we have very very detailed business rules that we enforce so as you've kind of worked with the tool what are the benefits to the team that you've witnessed and also to the customer basically as I said before, is having the most up-to-date data at your fingertips, knowing that what you're going in and accessing is the right information, especially at the deputy and lead BFM position when we get data drills. You know, I constantly get asked from the fields, how much money in a current fiscal year am I getting across the board in PMA 265? Before, that was take me days to answer, and now it's a click of a button, five-minute pivot table, and off the information goes. So it benefits us as being a quick response, and it benefits them by having not just a number, but by funding source, by IPT, phased out across the year. So it's, it's a lot more data that they're given. And speaking of that data, how does CSPT assist with data transparency? So it's not only transparent across of our PMA, everybody who has access can see across every IPT. So we are very, you know, we watch who we give access to and who gets full rights access versus visitor access, but they know they can go in, they can look at other IPTs, maybe they're having a head herder on something that's working for, that's working for another IPT that they want to adopt. They can go in and look at that. But it also helps across the command with the visuals. So the PEO can go in if they're asking or looking for data, whether it's acquisition versus fleet deliverable or it's the manpower. We can look at manpower across the NAVAIR system. So if we're paying for people at a certain field location, maybe another PMA is paying for them as well, and so they're overstaffed. So we're able to do this cross-collaboration and this data transparency to help save money and time in the command. Absolutely. Sounds like a super positive benefit to all of this. What role did leadership have in 265's implementation of CSPT? So when I first started, the captain actually asked me, what is the one thing I can do to help you with CSPT? And I basically said, we just need your backing. I mean, we need your support. Showing the support from top down will very well help us implement this tool, and it won't be looked at as just another data call. Once we got, you know, the level ones trained and learning the CSPT, most of them hadn't been in it before, you know, then they started supporting us and having meetings with us and inviting us to brown bags to teach it. And it's just started to flow from there. And now the level twos are in there and enforcing it to their teams and, and always coming to me and how they feel on different things that they feel they want to enter to make it better for them. So how long did it take to get from concept to prototype? It actually started prior to 2019 when I got to PMA 265. They went in full on into CSPT, took all the spends plans away, and it kind of failed. Then again, in 2019, we tried to re-attack it again by going, taking a step back, recreating the tool for us. 
So from the second concept in 265 till now, it's taken about two years. And how are you measuring outcomes? And how did you identify what to measure? That's actually been a little bit difficult, but I will tell you that the drills that we're answering are substantially faster. Having all the data in there, like the big financial ASC that we do monthly, it went from taking our teams two and a half weeks to prepare for this monthly ASC to about two to three days to have the data ready and and in front of the IPTs for these financial AOCs. So I think that is a huge measure for us of how much time we are saving across the PMA and across the different teams. The other thing is we had our second financial AOC yesterday out of the tool and the amount of CSPT language and terminology and what they were talking about in this I was kind of like a proud mom listening to everybody speak yesterday and knowing that they have really really adopted CSPT in their IPTs. So let's talk about the team. How did you work through any problems that you might have had and how did you overcome any setbacks? We did have multiple setbacks, not necessarily just in the PMA, but the tool is ever evolving and the AMS team is always making changes. So when we took a step back and we created our business rules, we did it based on what we knew then. Of course, everything is ever evolving, more information that we want to know, or they decide to change a tool and say, you know, we don't want government activity to say this, we want it to say that. So there's been times we've actually had to stop and go backwards and recreate another process. At first, there was a lot of hesitation through the teams because it seemed a lot of work, but we kept telling them, if you just put the time and the work in now in the beginning, the end product will be so good. So just showing them what they could get out of the tool is where they were starting to catch on and know that, okay, I can go in, I can get this, I can make this spin plan, I can see this in the visual. Just showing them that it's just not a data tool that's going to go away in a year or two that they spent all this time on is where it's helped us in the PMA. So what would you say were the most important behaviors that contributed to the success? Honestly, I would say excitement and commitment. My lead BFM will always say, you can always hear the excitement in Tessa's voice about CSPT. I think because I've lived the tool and know what they can get out of it, I'm always excited to show them this is what it can do and this is what we can do and I can teach you how to make a pivot table and I can you know lead a horse to water they're going to drink right and then just through the bumps we've had just staying committed there's been times where we thought we give up this just isn't going to work and it's just like no let's just take a step back let's stay committed we're on a good path and let's just continue that beat to that drum absolutely So I want to kind of continue that thought with what advice you would give to other teams facing similar challenges or opportunities. I would actually say, take a step back. Think about what do you want to get out of the tool, not necessarily just to put data in. What are the questions you always have to answer? Enter the data in to answer those drills quickly and concisely for your team so that you're not having to go out to that same IPT and say, tell me, tell me this again. Why do, why, what is this? And then with that, you know, use all the custom fields to your benefit. Write your business rules to exactly what you want them to do. I mean, we even made an Excel spreadsheet that says, this is what you enter in this field. These are your options. Don't enter anything else. I would also say create a small surge team with a few different SMEs on there, whether it's a BFM, an IPT, an analyst, an ops, so that you can see everything on this surge team to help out your PMA. And then don't be afraid to go to the AMS 
team and ask them for training. If I don't know the answer, I'm going to reach out and say, hey, I need you to train my team. We are all in. So <laughs> we've got to make this work. So earlier you said you were one proud mama. Tell me why you're so proud of this effort. We have definitely come so far in this tool from when I started two, two years ago and looking at the data and having no idea what the data was telling me to yesterday during our AOC, one of the level ones asked me, I need to know quickly how much money is going to this field activity. And in five minutes, I could get him that data. I don't have no idea how long that would have taken me two years ago, two, weeks maybe once I asked everybody and is it right so just knowing how far we've come and watching everybody go in the tool utilize it ask me for training come to their IPT and also come to me with even better ideas like hey can we enter level threes in a custom field to make it easier for my team just watching their brains with this tool and and their ideas has helped is definitely what makes me proud of this long effort Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing about the Common Spin Plan tool and your team. We're going to switch gears a little bit and turn to Mr. Don Salomon with the Hornet Health Assessment Tool. So running down the same line of questioning here, what is the goal in using HEART? So the goal in using HEART, and, and really HEART is a concept that manifests as a methodology, a set of tools, and a group of people who are intellectually curious and hungry to drive efficiencies towards maintenance of the F-18 is, is really the end goal of HEART. And so that can uh, be very broadly from coming up with the data to drive improvements to the publications to having anomaly detection teams made of data scientists leveraging state-of-the-art artificial intelligence to look for unique signatures on the aircraft to, to get predictive about how we affect the husbandry of these airframes. So what was the motivation behind creating this solution? And what motivated PMA 265 to adopt it? Absolutely. That's a great question. So the HEART program was really sort of born out of a precipitating event known as physiological episodes. So some of you may have been familiar with that. It's not really talked about much anymore because uh, we've driven the rates down with this program and some of the other key corrective actions that 265 has gotten out there. But there's a strong correlation and sense that HEART played a major role in that. And so we knew from the root cause investigation team that there wasn't a single engineering change we could do to the airframe very quickly to fix the issues because that didn't seem like that was a very smart way to go about it. We didn't have the data to back up that assumption. But what we did understand is that there was a, a continuum of material condition for the aircraft amongst the Navy and for us and uh, folks like the Royal Australian Air Force. And so we took that concept of, well, could we get ahead of problems and triage the worst offending jets with finite resources, and how could we leverage big data to go after that? And so with that success, we've since taken that learning and tried to scale as quickly as possible across multiple other systems on the airframe. So how has PMA 265 implemented the tool? PMA 265 has implemented the tool by using it as a pilot project to come up with a, a more structured condition-based maintenance program for the, uh, the F-18 fleet. So really, it comes back to a bunch of NAE bread and butter engineers, logisticians, data scientists, and data engineers, and program managers getting together and trying to solve problems and figure out how we can get to the, uh, the end goal of the vision, right? We don't just fly aircraft to fly aircraft to break them, to fix them more efficiently, but we really fly aircraft to deliver the right capability at the right time at a cost that we can afford. And a piece of that puzzle is the HEART program. So what would you say are the main benefits to the team and to the customer? The main benefits for the team is that the work's a lot of fun. They're doing very cutting-edge stuff. And for the customer, 
we are giving them more insights and more prognostics and sometimes predictive instances where they can get ahead of problems before they manifest on the jet. And, you know, one of our biggest outcomes we had is that physiological episodes has steeply declined since the rollout of the program. And additionally, we've started to realize some cost-saving benefits from being able to keep parts on wing longer. You've kind of hit on this quite a bit so far, but how does heart increase fleet readiness? Absolutely. It's a great question. So heart increases fleet readiness by enabling us to peer about two minutes around the corner. So typically the way the Navy operates is in the reactive and scheduled-based maintenance paradigm, where heart is getting us more into the prescriptive and the predictive paradigm, where we can realize maintenance efficiencies and availability for the aircraft. So we move the needle from unscheduled maintenance to scheduled maintenance and give agency back to the maintenance controls and, and they can work with the, uh, the operations of the squadron to, to really be a, a unique partnership. What role did leadership have in the development and implementation of HART? Leadership had very demonstrable role in the uh, development and the growth of HART. So, uh, you know, Captain Denny and his predecessor, Captain Kenley, made a very educated bet uh, when the end state and vision was explained to them, and they gave us intellectual latitude to approach the problem. There were no constraints. They gave us their guidance, and they gave us the resourcing, and then they gave us time to go and affect this. So leadership played a huge role for us to get off the ground, and they continually put their trust in us to deliver this capability to the fleet. How long did it take to get from concept to prototype, and what behaviors do you believe enabled you to go fast? So we, as a team, wrote a white paper in April of 2018, if I remember correctly, and our first prototype was with VFA 213 in February of 2019. Unbeknownst at the time to the rest of the PMA leadership, I didn't tell them this, but we were already monitoring the entire fleet. But we wanted to prove ourselves out, dedicated with a a single squadron to, to really get it right. And so we fully productionized in the summer of 2019, and we've since done a ton of growth and scaling for covering systems unrelated to the to the physiological episodes issue. How are you measuring outcomes? There's sort of the bread and butter things that are related to maintenance. We want to realize cost savings. We want to realize more time on wing for parts that were traditionally associated with some sort of threshold for removal. We want to realize maintenance efficiencies where we can reduce that burden of unscheduled maintenance, move it to scheduled maintenance like I talked about, and really relieve the burden on the fleet. But at a higher level of abstraction, it goes back to the fact that we're, we're really a piece of the puzzle of the lethality trade space. So having the jets available because we're smarter about how we maintain them enables capability delivery that the combatant commander is asking for. So talk to me about the team dynamic. How did you work through any problems that you might have encountered? We kind of have four tenants we live by. I have no policy or process that I've documented this in, but really it's a culture that, that we champion. So number one, automation is the number one goal for everything that we do, and we want to remove the person out of the loop for, for all of this. I, I often joke we're trying to put the engineers out of the job. Obviously, I don't mean that, but really it is to drive efficiencies at every level we possibly can. Number two, everything we do is reasonable, plausible, and backed up by science and engineering. So that's the threshold we have. I don't have numbers associated with it, but we're all highly skilled professionals at NAVAIR, and we have good gut instinct to understand what that means. Number three is not assuming it doesn't work, but asking why can't it work? And then number four is if we're not here in five years, and this applies to anybody, how will we know what we were thinking? So we have a couple things that we do document as, uh, as a way to have people understand where we're coming from when we're developing these health metrics for the aircraft based off of the aircraft data. 
What would you say are the most important behaviors that contributed to your success? So I mentioned it before, we were given intellectual latitude to approach problems. So there was nobody telling us how to do this. And that bred creativity from people that were very hungry and excited to do this kind of work. Uh, and I'll struggle with the, the English words here, but we have a non-zero defect mentality. So what that means is that it's okay to fail. But in fact, failure is just another data point that we use to figure out where we need to go next. We are extremely agile and have the ability to pivot very quickly and take those lessons on board and get smarter about how we do business. We have the empowerment of personnel. So we do not have a traditional top-down command structure. What we do is we get people to understand the vision and execute independently to move the ball down the court. And then I'd say lastly, we believe in incremental gains. So not every win that we get is going to be profound and earth-shattering where we're going to save millions and millions of dollars. But if you take the sum of things that we have done and you add them all up, it's pretty compelling stuff. Absolutely. And I love your comments about failure being a data point. So perfect. So what advice would you give to teams facing similar challenges or opportunities? The, the advice I would give other teams that are facing similar challenges and opportunities similar to this is that crisis is always an opportunity, depending on how you react to it and you selfishly take it by its ears and, and use it for doing good. For us, one of the key things that I've seen happen, and I think this is with any sort of new idea that occurs, is people go through what's called the heart shock. So initially, when we kicked this off there with our, our engineering team that we had started with, there was a lot of skepticism that this could even work, right? But when we started delivering some product, that turned into curiosity. And as soon as you get somebody curious about something, and they start to push the I believe button, that's where you see the, the real success start to happen and they get the buy into the vision and we have people embracing it. That's stage three. Stage four would be a champion, right? So the best thing I can ever see in an email or I hear is if somebody has a problem and the first thing they say is, have you talked to the heart guys? And I think that applies for any new type of effort. I would assume the analog is the same with tests. Have you put it into CSPT? That should be the Question number one of our champions. Perfect. So why are you proud of this effort? I'm absolutely proud of this effort because I get to work with some of the most brilliant people I've ever met in my entire life every day. You know, every week I meet a new smartest person I've ever met, which is great because that makes me smarter. I'm proud of this effort because we were selected as the platform of choice for the, the vice chief of naval operations to scale this sort of technology across the aviation portfolio. And I'm proud of this effort that our program managers, Captain Denny and Mr. Crispell, and our product support manager, Mr. Woody Payton, and our chief engineer, Mr. Joe Boyle, trust us enough to go and do. So Captain Denny, you have lots to be proud of between Hart and CSPT. How have you shared these wins with other PMAs? So you're absolutely right. It's important to share what we're doing, how we're succeeding with others, not, not to promote our own programs, but to show the methodology, the mindset, right? That those are the types of things that I communicate. We've had other successes, reliability control board, integrated supply chain management. And the common theme between all of those is the relationships, the mindset, the collaboration, the ownership, and the alignment that go along with it. So that's what I focus on trying to communicate and share with my fellow program managers. We have a couple of groups of us get together a couple times a week on teams, talk about some of our problems, share some of our methodologies, our mindsets, because, you know, heart is a fantastic tool for what we needed it to be. 
it may not be the end-all be-all tool that for say PMA 201 in developing air to surface weapons, but the methodology, the mindset, the excitement that Don has and his team has to be able to go do their work, that type of thing absolutely applies to any PMA or any of the competencies. So those are the types of things that I'm focusing on sharing. And then we can say, here's a specific example of how this worked. So what benefits have you seen both to the teams and to Naval Aviation? For the teams, it's the excitement that I see when they come to work. So there, there, there's a, we, we talk about performing at a higher level. So not just working harder. There's only so many hours in a day. And when we, when we say we want people to do things or we want to go faster or do more, they automatically assume, oh, they want me to put in overtime or work weekends. And that's not sustainable. We can't do that. But when you have a certain level of excitement and your team has that same excitement and you're collaborating and working with each other, you can accomplish so much more than you could by just trying to work harder. So for the teams, that's, the, that's what we're trying to multiply, and that's what we're trying to spread about is, is get that excitement. And you've heard it both from Don and from uh, Tess that, hey, they really like their jobs, and it's hard, and some of it is unforgiving, but they like it, and that, that provides a greater output. And then so for the fleet benefit, when you have a team of professionals behaving in that way and putting that much effort into their jobs, that allows us to support, sustain, and advance the fleet in ways that we haven't been able to do before if we were just trying to push harder. So they are able to collaborate with us. They're able to share what they need. We can respond to what they need better and provide them something that is more timely and more effective such that increase in readiness or increase in time on wing or, you know, for in Don's perspective, they're, they're in control of their own destiny in replacing these parts instead of being reactive and having to do it on the flight line or on the flight deck in the, in the pouring rain. They get to choose when they replace that part and it makes them more effective at their jobs. And you certainly can hear that, that passion and that excitement uh, from both Tess and Don in both these products and these teams. So how do you think will these teams sustain and build on these successes? So the sustainment is the understanding that the work is always going to be there, whether, whether you know, F-18 at some point is going to be retired, but there's new platforms coming online. There's future vertical lift, there's NJAD, you've got MQ-25. And so as long as there's the United States Navy and naval aviation, there's going to be a need for NAVAIR to go about and manage these programs and develop these tools and support the fleet in order for them to be able to do their job and carry out the national strategic objectives. So as long as we understand that we're always in the mindset of improving and iterating, like Tess mentioned with the, the tool. It wasn't perfect, but let's go back and continue to iterate and make it better. And that never ends. That will allow us to keep going for decades to come because where 265 is today is not where it's going to be tomorrow. It's not where it's going to be 10 years from now, and that's not where it needs to be. We've just got to continue to iterate and evolve continuously and make sure that we still have that North Star of, hey, we're here to support the fleet and make sure that they're able to do their jobs. So as we wrap today, what advice would you give to your fellow PMs on motivating positive behaviors and outcomes that matter to the fleet? So it's, it's, there's a couple of aspects of that. One, remember what, why we're here, what team we're on, right? We're on Team Naval Aviation, Team US Navy, Team USA. We're here to be a part of that overarching strategic partnership to advance our national goals. Okay, so 
that will help us uh, stop with some of the, you know, stove piping or, you know, hey, this is my lane, stay away from my lane type of thing, which is, it really just prevents us from being our most effective. So remember, we're all on the same team. And if we align to a common goal, we can pursue that goal in our own ways where we reinforce each other. And the, the other thing I would say is, you know, as a leader, especially the more senior you get, what I have learned, because I am learning through this process as well, is it's not about me directing the team to go do things. It's not all my ideas. CSPT was not my idea. It was Tess and Tammy's idea. Hart was not my idea. Don and the team was already working on it before I even got into the seat. It's seeing that they have good ideas, they have the right mindset, and what can I do to enable them to go further? So my job is to create the environment that allows them to succeed and have that excitement about their jobs. And they are able to lead their teams in that way. And then it just kind of uh, propagates throughout the rest of the organization. Absolutely. Empowerment is so important. So I want to thank all of you for being here today and sharing about PMA 265, the culture there, and how behaviors like collaboration, empowerment, and thinking differently are enabling your teams to deliver game-changing products to the fleet. This is the first in our Behaviors for a Winning Culture series. Of course, you can hear more examples in the coming weeks by tuning into the Airwaves podcast on all your favorite listening apps. And that's it for this edition of Airwaves. Thanks for listening.